At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Well, I don't know about you, and it's been a freaking hectic last 48 hours. <laughs> Holy smokes, man. When you sent me that freaking picture, how do you even say his name? Stefan Gilbert? Uh, how would you Gil say that? Gilbert. Gilbert. Gil Gilbert. Gilbert, before entering electoral politics in 2019, the Quebec MP co-founded Equiterre, a Quebec-based environmental organization and was the director of a provincial chapter of Greenpeace. It almost sounds like the bloody minister of the environment that we had to deal with in New Zealand four years ago during Tarmageddon that came from Forest and Bird, which is essentially the Humane Society of New Zealand. Okay. He spoke out against pipeline projects. Gilbert also took part in stunts to draw attention to environmental causes, was arrested after scaling Toronto's CN Tower to raise awareness of climate change. He was involved in a Greenpeace stunt that saw activists climb onto roof, yada, yada, yada. Mark Hall, welcome to the roundup, in which probably the topic that will dominate. I do have some good news. Okay, um, okay. That will dominate. This, yeah, this is a uh, Canada's yeah. regulation. Yep. Um, so, just so folks know, uh, the import ban of ivory, and it also covers the, we'll talk about this, the export of ivory out of Canada. And there's a critical part of this. So, and rhino horn was a regulation uh, amending the wild animal and plant trade regulation. 
So the government gets to amend regulations. It doesn't, it's not like a bill that has to go through the, the house debate. Um, they just simply get to do it as day-to-day business of government, right? Yeah. So explain that. So how, how is that possible? It's just because there was a law already in place. Yeah. And so they just want to change the law a little bit. And because they want to change the law, they can just do it with a, a, yes. a, an open public yeah. consultation. doesn't have to go through parliament. Is there like a limit to the change, Mark? Um, no. If they're regulations, I believe uh, governments, provincial, territorial, and federal can, can amend regulations. Uh, if they're remen- amending statutes or creating new statutes, then those go through the, the long entire process of debating in the House, committee, um, Senate, yada, yada, yada. So, I, I mean, it's, it, in a way, it sort of makes sense. I mean, it, we have this thing called order in council, and it's essentially the government in power is given the ability to make routine day-to-day changes to do the business of running the country. Um, and it do- everything doesn't have to become bogged down as a fight in the House of Commons. So, you know, little stuff is is okay. I okay. get that. It makes it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. But but see, the the ramifications of this were large, even though it was a small amendment to a regulation, which gets its authority from a statute, and they're not changing the the statute. So. Uh, but but again, that doesn't that doesn't you know trigger anything. The only time it would trigger something is if a if a member of the opposition brought it to the house and during um, question period, you know they would stand up and say, "Hey, minister, you have this public comment session on what the heck are you doing, changing that regulation that way?" And then you know there can be some fervor around around it that way. I know from personal and past experience and people that work for various government agencies that kind of help me out behind the scenes that a lot of times when stuff goes out for public comment, it's a done deal. Mm -hmm. Um, That is a checkbox of governments in Canada uh, to, you know, put this polished report management plan, amendment to a regulation out there and say, we're being transparent. The public gets to have comment on it. What I'm seeing more and more is the comment period, the comment sessions are pre-designed surveys, which this one was on the trophy hunting thing. And it was like, in part one, do you support this and that? Was this clear? And it's sort of like, like, let, let me answer my own questions if I'm providing public comment, right? So they, they really steer it towards probably like getting the answers that, that they want. Um, and yeah, nothing changed. Nothing changed so, on, on this regulation. Obviously, the you know, I'm attacking this from what I know on the ground and what I've seen with people in Africa. Well, in terms of just like we, we put out a short reel this morning that was like, hey, did you even bother just to ask the question or do a little bit of research that is, does this help or hurt rhinos or elephants? Simple yep. question. Simple question. So some of that was in the background document to the public comment 
website or whatever you want to call it. There was like a backgrounder, uh-huh. uh, gave the who, who, what, where, and why. So it, it, it stated a lot of the stuff that was in that press release, uh, this week about, um, declining, um, populations of elephants and rhinos and, uh, the government admitted even back in the public consultation backgrounder that it was under a lot of international pressure to close off uh, trophy imports into the country. So they, they've publicly admitted that partially they're bowing to uh, pressure as well, which I assume is probably coming from Humane Society International because 100%. they they were quoted in uh, in the official so government that, of Canada's so press that release. CTV, so that CTV release that we got, that was an official Canadian government release? So that was the CTV, the news outlet covering the story in that there was a hyperlink to the government of Canada's official press release statement. In that press release statement, um, you know, there's, and the minister is quoted as saying this, blah, 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 all of this stuff. And then they literally quote unquote, uh, whoever it was like executive director or whatever of Humane Society International slash Canada. And here's my quote, how wonderful this whole thing is and, you know, Crazy. blah, blah, blah. So. No counterpoint yeah, that's to totally, it in the, totally, in the press release nope, either, right? Nope, like, not no, at like, all. this is a bad thing for African wildlife and African people. So the backgrounder document to the public comment session had a little bit of stuff. Like they did some research. I have some issues with it. Um, You know, what they did. What research did they do that showed that hunting was detrimental to elephant or rhino populations? They they didn't show that. What were they? (laughs) No shit. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, even in the backgrounder document, they, they... they talk about the same thing that you did. It's like they admitted that hunting wasn't a problem. Um, poaching, you know, was the, the main driver. Uh, however, we're under all this pressure to put an, ex, an import ban on, on ivory and horn, so therefore we're going to do it. And then they tried to put, you know, lipstick on, on the pig, so to, so to speak. But the information that they cited in the background document was a single study that was done in South Africa that showed the percentage of hunters that came to South Africa um, that were Canadian. And it was 6%. 6% of the international hunters to South Africa well, I think the, were Canadian. they had like a statistic since 20, I can't remember if it was 2016 or 2006. And this was the, the numbers pulled out of the CITES database. It was like 14 tusks. Six rhino like, horns or something like that. Yeah, it was like uh, 14, 14 tusks uh, legally imported into Canada right. roughly every year um, for personal use because um, you can get scientific and museum, yep. you know, like, like uh, CITES permits uh, and two or four rhino horns. So, yeah. yeah. So in the government was trying to rationalize this back during the public comment period by basically saying, um, yeah, you know, Canada is just a really insignificant part of this whole thing, right? Uh, um, Canadian hunters only make up 6% of hunters in South Africa, of which the majority are hunting plains game animals. Um, and so, the, so they, they kept kind of downplaying and there was even a statement in that public um, backgrounder document that basically said, 
So therefore, the impact of Canadian hunters not being able to hunt uh, elephants and rhinos uh, in Africa is really insignificant in the grand picture to Africans' economies. And and I was just like, holy shit. So the, it, in that talking head video that I released back in the summer when this was kind of active, like I, I said, the bigger picture here is a government whose philosophy is 6% Canadian hunters in a jurisdiction are irrelevant. What those hunters want to do and what they're contributing to a local economy, we're willing to stop that. In Canada, hunters barely make up 3% of the population. So I'm like, there's the big picture, folks. If the government is saying 6% in Africa is insignificant, we'll just like stop that. Then what do they do when they turn their attention to Canada going, oh, they're only 3% of the population. It's not going to hurt the economy, yada, yada. And, and those are some of the flags that I tried to raise with it's, this. It's, that were it's, both. it's not the, as you say, it's not the percentage. It's the freaking like, it's the momentum and the precedence. Like Belgium, right? Belgium banned imports. It's like. Okay, so what? But it's not just a so what. It's like, oh, you got a victory. Oh, we got another victory. Oh, we got yep. another victory. When someone looks at the next law, they're like, well, who else has done this? Oh, shit, Canada's done this. Oh, Belgium's done this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It must be, they must have done the research already. You know? Death by a thousand cuts, cumulative impact. Yep. What I um, particularly enjoyed, not that I enjoyed any part of the exercise, I was so mad yesterday because I think you, I think I got the, I got the, like, it was one of those that I woke up at five 30 in the morning and it was in my WhatsApp feed or what someone had pinged me. I was like, what the hell is this shit? And between five 30 in the morning and seven 30, I just got riled up. Like I just literally <laughs> like in my brain, my like arguments are like just forming and forming and forming. And so I switched the camera on. And typically a lot of people may not know this. Maybe I've said it, maybe I haven't in the past, but my roundups and my, my talking heads, I typically have an idea of what I'm going to say. And I've written it out. This one, I had not written nothing. And I was like, I'm going to death stare this camera and I am going to vent. <laughs> and, you know, the, the thing that got me the most was that they start with the traditional like, okay, elephant populations have declined, rhino populations have declined. Yep, absolutely. You're correct. Overall, they have, but no mention of like regional spe specificities where elephant populations are overpopulated in areas now and doing phenomenally well, and rhinos are doing phenomenally well in privately held hunting reserves. But the thing that really grinded my goat was in the speech, he says, Canada is following suit of other countries that are, putting ex are increasing our regulations to stop poaching. Yeah. He said yeah. it. Yeah. And I had to like double check it to make sure that I wasn't like saying something that wasn't said, but he said like poaching, right? He goes on and lists all the things that are causing. Here's the other thing. He goes in and, and, and he says all, and I'm still riled up, you can tell. Goes in and says all the things that are actually contributing to elephant and rhino population declines, human wildlife conflict, infrastructure development, uh, poaching deforestation, all the things that we're like, yes, absolutely. Doesn't mention hunting in that list. 
not does not. Then he mentions poetry. Then I was like, okay, sweet. What are you going to do about it? Canada, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to pump 100 million Canadian into Africa every year to aid anti-poaching teams? Are you going to pump 100 million Canadian in to protect habitat, to buy land and give it over to the government, give government some aid, uh, do an education campaign about the, the benefits of wildlife protection and biodiversity for carbon sequestration and climate change. So many things. No. We're going to ban the import of trophies as our mechanism to stop poaching. Legally hunted animals in jurisdictions with sustainably managed wildlife populations and hunting quotas. That's, that's their solution. So that's a philosophy that our government in Canada is, is putting in place in a lot of different areas in this country. Gun control is the big one. So violent crime uh, is, is on the rise. Uh, the, the amount of illegal weapons that are in the country are being imported illegally. They're being held and used by people illegally, mostly handguns, because you're not allowed to walk around with them here. Uh, and, and so their solution is we're going to go after sports shooters and farmers and trappers and hunters and scoop in all of these, these firearms um, for, for various, various reasons. Uh, the other one they're doing is, well, Canada's going to take a lead role in, um, climate action and, you know, uh, help, help reduce carbon emissions. So what are they doing? They're taxing the shit out of us. Uh, twice in one year, uh, they imposed carbon taxes and the cost of living has gone through the freaking roof in this country, especially food. Um, cause price of food is tied to the price of transportation. You up that by 6% and you see that on the grocery store shelves, right? Um, one of the other areas, uh, that, that they're doing this is, um, yeah, like in housing, you know, that the housing crisis, um, you know, it's, it's, so it's this philosophy of here's a problem, here are the causes and, oh, squirrel, let's go over here and address this right and and that's exactly what you were just talking about poaching is the issue so let's target sustainable hunting so so mark a lot of people in 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 us posting stuff out have talked about government change and elections and stuff like that what is happening in canada next like when do you because you have a weird system right you can call an election anytime you want it can there's like a drop dead timeline um but a government can call it call the the government in power can call the election prior to the you know the the definitive legislated timeline so canada's federal election is set for october of 2024 october 2024 and what is the general thought process in canada right now do we think that the government the current government is going to Stay no, put. all the all the all the polls have shown that our current government, the Liberal government, Liberal Party, uh, that's in power is tanking, <clears throat> and the Conservatives 
uh, leaders of the opposition are pulling ahead in the polls, like <clears throat> not even close. Like, like if there was an election today, the conservatives would hold a majority uh, government. The Liberal Party and the NDP, who have sort of formed a coalition to get things through, like the gun control legislation and the carbon tax and and whatnot, um, they would be lucky together to like. They wouldn't even form a minority opposition, <laughs> really. They would have so few seats. So, <laughs> you know, but a lot can change between now and next October. And as you know, political party popularity all has to do with what slams people on a Monday morning on the headlines and either makes somebody look good or somebody look bad. You know? Sure. Um, sure. So, you know, I think this, this, uh, ivory and horn, um, import ban, uh, you know, it's, it's been in the works for a while. It's been in the book since 2021. There was a minor amendment made to this regulation. They had to come back to it in order to deal with rhino horn because it was ivory before. And then this time they wanted to specifically include <clears throat> uh, hunting trophies in it as well. So it's been going on for a while, but it's definitely... You know, the government right now, the government of Canada is struggling to find things that it's getting likes for, um, pop popularity type stuff, right? To try to uh, prop itself up. It does not seem to be working because I went to the minister's Twitter feed where he made the announcement. Um, he, he had that quote of, of um, the doctor in, oh, in dude. Kenya about the, the only the, place. The, the wildlife <laughs> conservationist out of Kenya that is being promulgated as this like, so-called expert and in her testimony she says i have seen the effects of trophy hunting with my own eyes in my country in i don't know if she says in my country or not but it's like oh hunting's been banned in kenya since 1977 how can you have seen the effect of it in your country oh do you mean poaching yeah because yes poaching has definitely decimated wildlife in your country yeah, and so on that, where where the minister quoted that that doctor in and sort of re saying that the only whatever it is the only place that a uh, uh, an elephant tusk should be is on an elephant or whatever whatever the quote right, is right right right. So I I started well, that was the minister's announcement of this um, export ban and or import ban and the comments from Canadians underneath of that was oh dude. Hold on. Overwhelmed the, the, hey, good on, good on you, minister. This should have happened a long time ago. We should ban all trophy hunting, like keep going, ban, you know, ban all hunting and stuff like that. It was just slammed by Canadians. Um, you know, some, I think some the, funny I stuff. I thought a bunch of funny the, stuff. I saw a bunch of funny yeah, stuff. Here's the one that the, I got on YouTube. The Canadian YouTube. elephants. I put, yeah, yeah. So I got one on YouTube and I laughed out loud this morning and I put LOL best comment here. The guy's comment was, about time they stopped poaching. There's hardly any wild rhino left in Canada, exclamation point. <laughs> Last time I went elephant hunting in Quebec, I didn't see a single one, exclamation point. Good thing there's such a clear response from the government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, it, those, the, they are funny, but it's like, it really gets to the heart of where, um, where I think Canadians are right now. And you know, reading some of those comments on social media, I, I really get a sense 
Like the comments are not coming from hunters. Just the nature of the comment and, and the humor. And I think it really gets to like some things that are really broken in this country where, you know, people that aren't hunters are, are, you know, voicing, you know, over this hunting import ban and, and seeing, seeing the hypocrisy, seeing the irony, uh, in it. And just, again, the frustrations, you know, it's, well, it's always, whenever something like this gets talked about or put on the news or whatnot, you know, we've dealt with it in New York, we've dealt in, with it in Connecticut, it's in California. You're like, do, is there nothing better for you to work on right now? Do you not have any other problems that you need to solve in your local states, in, in the local country that you're from? Um, clearly you do. But why is this a precedent? And it, and it you you just it's such a thin veil that you 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 cannot help but look through it and say you're doing this for someone. Someone has scratched your back. Someone is lobbying you. Someone has paid big money into your campaign. Someone exactly. Has, someone has said and and given the what you just talked about about the the government probably turning over in October and there being a big shift. Hey. I've got 10 months left. I'm going to put in as many favors as I possibly can. I'm going to get shit done that I can get done. And when I leave government, I'm going to get a big job with whoever it is, Humane Society or, or whatever. And another political tactic that happens along that line. So an outfitter in Africa has been messaging me back and forth, like, what's going on in Canada? And why don't Who you do it? this? And she get, get some, um, uh, let me hear, see if I can pull it up quickly. Um, uh, seem like really good people, Safari Pro Outfitters. Oh uh, yeah, they contacted us too. I don't know where they're from. It's the first time that I've actually talked to them. Uh, they yeah, may have, so they anyways, must have a Canadian connection or something like that. Yeah, a, a bit because they were asking like, you know, hey, where are you from? And, uh, you know, they, they sort of obviously knew the country and, um, it was, it was a good conversation. Like I really, really in, enjoyed it. Um, but you know, one of the things they, you know, they asked is, do you think this could get reversed quite quickly when, if there's a change in government and it, it could, but one of the political tactics of a party that's like, you know, lost engine power and it's headed, headed, you know, steeply downhill is they start flooding this sort of stuff <laughs> in knowing that when the incoming government comes in. They're going to, in the first hundred days, they're going to try to like reverse a whole bunch of that stuff, but they're going to run out of time because they have to devote their time to running the country and current issues and all that kind of stuff. And so they're going to, they know some of this stuff is going to stick and it's going to be here permanently. And, you know, a future government's just not going to get around to it in a four-year term. So, you know, gun control uh, legislation and reversing some of that is going to yeah, be. Yeah, but if this, like this little law, this law seems, given what they just did, would be a simple amendment too, right? It would, wouldn't have to go through parliament. Oh, it, would, it would be a simple reversal yep. kind of story. Just to say that hunting trophies would be um, uh, one of the considered exceptions, because uh, the, uh, the regulation does says with exceptions uh, that, you know, a, a person could apply wildlife officials would go over your papers, the country that you come from and, you know, yada, yada. And I mean, this is one of the things that 
in the UK debate over their import ban that you talked about, um, Amy Dickman talked about and stuff publicly was like these smart regulations. Eh. And it's like, yes, there are places that are not doing things very well, wildlife management anywhere in the world. Sure. So let's identify countries that are really good at it and make it streamlined to import, you know, uh, trophies from there and countries that have, you know, really bad records, uh, you know, whatever, uh, put disincentives in place. So they're hurt in the pocketbook by a hunter's going to go, well, I'm not going to go to that country because nobody's got their trophy exported for like the last five years right. out of that country. So, um, you know, that there's all those types of incentives are used, you know, everywhere in, in the world and legislation. And so this was an opportunity to do that as well, but it was, you know, it was an all or nothing thing. Eh. Mark, tell the me, other, give, give me, go ahead. Yeah. The other point I was, is going to touch on this, uh, we bring it up later that, uh, hasn't come up in the discussion. So this amendment to the regulation, as I understand it also includes exports of ivory out of Canada. So, no, we don't have ele uh, elephants here, but we have narwhal and we have walrus who both have ivory tusks, which are hunted uh, by Inuit uh, for sustenance. And Inuit are famous for scrimshaw carvings of narwhal and walrus, and they're worth a lot of money. And they sell those overseas to art collectors. So you, it so, can be sold overseas. It can be exported before it this, can. whatever yep. Jolivet did. So now this, there's two things that could happen. Um, I got to find out a little bit more, uh, the details from, uh, the executive director of the Fur Institute of Canada, who's actually in Ottawa today to kind of, uh, deal with this. It could be that Canada is going to restrict Inuit artists from exporting that ivory or it could be backlash against Canada for its hunting trophy bans and saying, we're going to retaliate by then putting import bans on your Inuit's art. And I, I just feel so, so horrible for the Inuit people, right? You know, like, you know, they're an indigenous culture who's, you know, suffered the impacts of European colonization, but everything that is an income for them in the Arctic seals and seal products banned in Europe. Um, the polar bear hunts uh, are impacted by the U.S. import sure. ban on sure. polar bear parts. It, you know, and, and now they're talking, you know, like about ivory. The U.K. ban, if it had gone through, would have ended all of the European hunters who can legally hunt polar bears with Inuit and take, take them back. So it was like, they just keep getting like, hit, you know, one, one after the other. And it's just, it's gotta be so devastating, uh, to some of those communities where income is hard oh, to come 100%. by and the cost of living is, is hard, but that, that hasn't been part of this discussion yet. Man, that's, that's huge though. You know, that's an, you know, I don't, it, it, I, I hate to say it this way, but oftentimes especially in Africa, in a system like Africa, and also a system like you guys that have Inuits and First Nations, indigenous voices, indigenous, uh, anything that sort of in touch, touches indigenous communities, that's a strong 
mo it's a strong message. It's a strong foundation to say, look, don't worry, like we can step away from this. Like the big white guys, whatever you want to call us, that it okay, we're out. But look at the people that you're actually harming. You're harming the 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 <laughs> you're harming the poorest of the poor. You're harming the people that have been segregated. You're harming the people that you know you you've you've forgotten about. And now society is all about those people. And I would think that the Liberal Party would have been all about those people too. You'd think. <clears throat> but it's not unfolding that way. So they would then have to make special provisions to deal with the um the narwhal and walrus ivory that's classified as art and make exceptions for each time an artist wants to export that piece and a buyer wants wants to buy it but as you know once government creates a regulation that does one thing and somebody goes but hey it blocks this then they're like okay we're going to put this in place in order so that that's not blocked and then they create a whole entire process where an inuit artist has got to make an application and it's going to take a year to process it and so on and so on. And then the buyer, you know, backs away. Government's just not good at, at streamlining that stuff, especially when it, when it, you know, plugs the dam and, and then has to try to figure out how to still let a little bit of water by. It's just, it's not an effective mechanism for that. So, you know, and then of course, like I said, uh, few seconds ago, then the concern is, is that regardless of what the federal government does to support ivory exports out of Canada for artists, if other countries want to retaliate against the federal government and block those as an import to their country, then at the end of the day, the Inuit people, artists are hurt. So mm -hmm. they're mm -hmm. caught in the crossfire. Crazy, man. Crazy. Yeah. You know, I know that we, you know, you sent me a, an article that showed like the opposition and for the the regulation, it was like three letter campaigns to one letter campaign, SCI being the one letter campaign. I wonder if it would have made a difference anyway, based on everything that we know now about him. And, no. the, and so if we had 10 letter campaigns, would it have, like if we had put in 100,000 comments? So the letter campaigns, are quiet behind the scenes, right? The only way that those campaigns could have been effective is to be doing what we're doing with Powell and yourselves and what we're doing here in Canada is mm -hmm. we have to blow these issues up. They have to be put in front of people and people's faces and content coming at people from every single direction with clear ways that people need to engage and get get active in this and this wasn't these were these were things that were quietly going on behind uh the scenes so you know i i don't know for sure but i would assume that government bureaucrats that were charged with making these amendments also had a duty to consult with affected parties so they would have chose like four groups and said, hey, can you give us written submissions on yeah. your thought of where we're going with this policy yeah. change? And that's what they got, 86,000 submissions um, that were in four major campaign groups, three that were in favor of the hunting trophy ban, one that wasn't. 
but that was that was in 2021 when this process first started like i said and it was like it wasn't on anybody's radar screen so so it's been that long mark they started this in 2021 so they made the first amendment in 2021 uh then they had to do this one that we're talking about right now to sort of basically go whoops uh some of these folks pointed out uh that it didn't include rhino horn and it didn't include hunting trophies uh, in, in the way they were trying to tighten up the illegal ivory component is, is what they started doing, uh, which is why they asked SCI, like, if we did this with the ivory thing, how, how would that affect you? Um, so then that was the submissions back in 2021. And then it was like, okay, yeah, uh, now we got to figure out how to close the loop on hunting trophies and, and uh, throw in rhino horn there as well. So there was no real consultation this year then? Just a 30-day public comment period. Oh, just a 30-day and, and public comment period. Yeah, back, back in, it, it ended on July hey, 23rd. Hey. You know, one of the other things that two years ago, um, and I, I always try to do this, I always try to like see these little markers that are happening out there in society and going, seems insignificant right now, but what does that mean? It's there for a reason. Two years ago, we're almost getting on three years ago when the federal government announced its assault weapon military style ban on hunting firearms with uh, 1,500 makes and models. They included a category of prohibited firearms whose muzzle energy could produce more oh, than 10,000 right. joules. What was and that? that? Over was 375 or 416? Yeah, the 416 and, and a few others. And I was like, those are, other than a few that I learned, hunters in the Arctic will use those for uh, walrus because uh, they're huge animals, you know, like whatever they weigh, like five tons or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are mostly firearms that would have been held by people that had the ability to regularly go hunt in Africa. I think in one of his interviews, Jim Shockey talked about um, uh, breach action, you know, hippo, rhino, elephant right, type right, gun right, or right. whatever, worth $100,000 or something like that. And, and it's, it's on that list. You know, at some point he may have to relinquish, relinquish that gun. And so when I saw that, I was just like, that, I wonder if signals future government policy direction in that they don't want Canadians going to Africa to hunt. So they're going to start by prohibiting <laughs> the firearms that are, they're not exclusive to Africa. Like, you know, that there's no law, um, but they're firearms that are typically used for the big, the big animals and stuff in Africa, not so much here in Canada. And I was like, gosh, and I, I raised that in some of my stuff. I'm like, what does this signal? You know, all these, there's something else coming. And here we are two years later and the trophy import ban is in yep i'm like what's next i yep. worry about big cats happening between now and the next federal election oh you think so you think yeah they'll bring something along with lions and yep. leopards there there's got to be something in their back pocket to say hey if monday morning if the opposition slams us with this and we start going down in the polls then we got to pull something out Get everybody's attention over and going, yeah, ban, you know, no more Cecil the Lion stuff or whatever. And it'll be rah, rah, rah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so you know, 
hindsight is 2020. And so if something like that comes with the federal election coming, I think a lot more people will stand up and pay attention. It's unfortunate that, you know, we didn't stand up and pay more attention um, 30 days ago. Whether or not that would have mattered or changed anything, who knows, right? Could have. Could have. Could exactly. Have. Could have got it on some elected officials' radar screens. We could have got it into the into the uh, the house and question period. That, yeah, that yeah. that's the route that we needed to yeah, go. And yeah, yeah. and I was sort of pushing, you know, that I'm small. I'm smaller than SCI, obviously. Sure, sure, sure. I uh, just don't have those resources to do that. Um, they are very good, I think, at informing their membership and getting action through their membership, and maybe not so much of like telling people. Hey, take action. Even if you're not an SCI member, um, yeah. we're not like that. We just like, Hey, everybody, yeah. no matter where you live, t- take Wake action up. on this. And, exactly. and, uh, yeah, I've, I've had a little, little troubles with this one the last couple of days since this came out. Cause I kind of feel like, yeah. man, I just couldn't, couldn't move the dial on this. Couldn't I couldn't, move the needle. you know, I just couldn't, I, you know, I brought it to people's attention. Other stuff starts coming along just didn't have the ability to go viral or inspire people and stuff. And so I've kind of sat back and, and kind of like, I'm, I'm like, what, what did I not do very well? Like what, you know? Um, so I, I do, I do feel a little tiny bit. I mean, it's a big thing. I'm not, it's not my fault, but I do feel a little bit of ownership in that. I just couldn't get people unleashed on this to care enough to, go spend the 20 minutes to provide some comments on it and, and, and stuff. And yeah, well, I think that's I'm, the difference I'm between, reflecting on that. you know, what we're doing at Blood Origins and, and maybe others is that we do care so much, man. And, you know, I said that at the end of the, the, the YouTube video, the full YouTube video, you know, that it, 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 it hit us hard, me and you like, shit, mm-hmm. we didn't do the work yep. that we're supposed to be doing. We didn't, we didn't exact the change. And yeah, I think we're being super critical of ourselves. Uh, but I think it's good to be super critical of ourselves because we want to do better. We want to grow. We want to, we want to be able to make those changes, move that needle. And I think just, it takes time and takes time for us to grow essentially. Yeah. And part of that I think is, and I don't want this to sound like a plug folks. Um, these groups that are pushing this stuff forward have massive, massive financial backers behind them. They have lawyers, they have marketing specialists, communication specialists, fundraising specialists and stuff. And they've been around longer than we have, like, like I get it, but they get a tremendous amount of people on board when they say, Hey, let's ban wolf hunting in British Columbia. It's like, here's sign a petition. The next thing you know, there's 270,000 signatures on it. Um, you know, we get a, you know, a campaign together and it's like 180 people or something, hey, something hey. like that. So it's, it's, uh, um, they are, they are good at it. Um, putting the resources behind the people that are putting themselves out there. And, and I think, you know, we're growing that way. And, and I see our supporter program and our conservation club program is growing and 10 years from now, we're probably going to look back at what I just said and go, you know, man, you, you never would have you know, would have realized we are now up there with the green pieces and H- HSIs of the world. And, and that's great. I know we will get there. 100%. 100%. But I think the one thing I want to put out there to listeners, and this is openly 
honest. I want to hear from folks on this because I do feel like we kind of, you know, I feel like I'd sort of somehow dropped the ball on, on making more people know that this was a significant change coming out of Canada. And I went back to a quote of Nelson Mandela's, um, how do we inspire ourselves to greatness when nothing less will do? How do we inspire everyone around us? I need to know. I, ne I need people's feedback to say, you could do this differently. You could do that. Um, like, like whatever. Um, but when these things come up, like, you know, we have to inspire ourselves mm -hmm. and the hunting community to greatness mm -hmm. because we are in a world where nothing less than greatness in the hunting community and greatness. I mean, like integrity, respect, honor, um, nothing less than that, you know, we'll do. So what can I do better to get these messages out? Yeah, no, that's a great, a great message and a great point, man. Um, we always want to do better. We always want to reach more people. We want to, we want to enact the change that we think is, is necessary. So yeah, keep plugging your way, man. Chin up, you know, and that we yep. didn't, we, we did, you know, we learn our lessons. We, we take our licks and we move forward and we get stronger. Um, so I do want to end on some good news. Awesome. And it's a good, good segue news. actually from Canada's banning of big caliber firearms. And a lot of people may have followed my story through Blood Origins and my grandfather, um, whatnot. Well, my grandfather, in one of his books, and I've got the, the, the actual written story as well. In one of his books, he called, there's a, a chapter of a story called The Guns of My Life. And he goes through all the guns of his life. I have one of those guns in the safe. It's a 270 Seiko. It was built in 1960. It's an original Seiko. Um, I don't use it anymore. Um, it's iron sight. Um, I may shoot a doe with it maybe one day. Let the kids shoot a doe with it one day. But it stays in the safe kind of scenario. The other gun in his life was a Davidson double side-by-side -side shotgun. It came from China with him in the 1930s. Because that gun was not in my name and because the export process in South Africa at the time was not as it is today, I couldn't get the gun out of the country intact. And my dad didn't want to deal with it. We went to the hunting community space there. We didn't know anyone to figure it out. So my dad took a, a, a hacksaw to the, the butt of the shotgun. I've got the button of the shotgun in a, in a glass case over here. And then he took an angle grinder to the barrels of the shotgun <laughs> and put two holes in the barrels and then handed it over to the police and said, I do not want to be a legal gun owner anymore. Here's my firearm. So that the gun wouldn't land up on the streets. Okay. The last gun in my grandfather's stories was a, a, a 416 Rigby caliber big game gun. It was a gun that had a Mahillion barrel. I don't know the, 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 the wood of the stock of the gun, but it was chambered in a 416 Rigby. He bought it from a Portuguese woman in Mozambique whose husband had used it to kill someone. <laughs> he got the gun, used it his entire life, gave it to a very famous elephant hunter's son, Gary Manners, to use because Gary was getting into professional hunting and he wanted a bigger caliber than his dad. His dad used a 375. And so the 416 Rigby got, got given to Gary Manners. 
And then when I was a game ranger in 1998, I was looking, in 1996 to 1997, I was looking for a big caliber gun to use. And we asked Gary, can we get the 416 Rigby back? And he said, well, you can borrow it, but I need it back. And we didn't know if Leo had said to Gary, this is your gun now because nobody in my lineage is going to need it or use it. Or did he actually just loan it to Gary? Turns out the history is he actually just loaned it to Gary. But because nobody had got in touch with Gary, in my brain, it was gone. Disappeared. Fast forward 20, this is 96. Yeah, almost 25 years, 26 years later. Thanks to the, the, the world of social media. I get a voice note from a professional hunter in South Africa saying, um, I think I found your grandfather's 416 rugby. I was like, what? I said, no, you didn't. Sent me a bunch of pictures, sent me a voice note about exactly almost the story, but it had a little different, different story to it. I was like, eh, it doesn't sound right based on what I know, based on the stories that I have and the, like, the factual stuff that I have. Let me contact um, Grayson. Let me, let, me, let me contact Gary Manners and uh, see if he sold the gun. Turns out Gary had sold the gun eight years prior. Eight years prior to me getting this message. And I said, okay, can Gary confirm that it had a Mahillion barrel? Gary confirms, had a Mahillion barrel. The facts that I have from 1996 confirms it was a Mahillion barrel. The serial number 1911 confirmed on the license of the gun that this guy has. So I'm like, holy shit. The gun's, it's, it's around. It's, and the guy, I was like, so spoke with the guy. I was like, you know, are you willing to sell it? He's like, I'm done using it. I'm not a professional hunter anymore. And so the negotiation process begins on, am I going to purchase this gun? And obviously I'm in the worst position possible, right? Because I want the gun. And the guy's like, well, I'll sell it to you. <laughs> but everything even like, this is how recent news, it happened like 5.30 a.m. this morning that the negotiation is now done. Wow. And there is an export process in South Africa, very simply, that will be able to convert the, the gun into a brokerage's name and then export it and we'll get it into my FFL here in Memphis, Tennessee. So a 416 wow. Rigby of my grandfather's. I'll put my hands on it on Saturday. That's exciting. Crazy. So, so you're leaving for South Africa and so you're gonna, it's going to arrive before you leave. So you're not going to be like another four weeks. I don't know how long it'll take. I suppose it's pretty quick. Um, okay. But it's probably coming by air. Yeah. yeah, it'll come by air. I come back from, so I'm going to go to the AGM of custodians in South Africa on third, on this, like the first couple of days, the trip. Then I'll be in Zimbabwe's AGM for the next couple of days and then Namibia's AGM for the next couple of days. And then a grueling freaking, I think it's like 
39 hours from Vintook back to Memphis. Back. Wow. Um, but yeah. That's exciting. It's, shit, it's exciting. I had a very similar story kind of unfolded this year. My grandfather used to talk about his favorite firearm, which was a 3040 Craig caliber. Always raved about it, always talked about it. <clears throat> when, um, but, but he got rid of the, the gun, I think, before I was even even born. And uh, so I always kind of thought it would be cool to like find an old 3040 Craig and just like, you know, use it in the memory of my grandfather and stuff. And people in my family started, started talking about it. Like, Hey, did you know what dad did with the old 3040 Craig? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my uncles were like, well, he sold it when he sold the trap line and he, and he, uh, cause he didn't want any of the boys in the family kind of fighting over it. He just like sold it and never said anything to any yeah, of his, yeah. uh, any of his kids or whatever. And then they're like, well, who did they sell it to? And they said, well, he sold it to. My father-in-law. No, he didn't. <laughs> yeah. So did they know each other at the time? Oh yeah, yeah. Like there's, you know, okay, like okay. been been, you know, old, old timers in this community for, you know, b- before I was ever ever born. So, anyways, um, my brother-in-law has his dad's gun collection, so we asked him about it and sent a picture and stuff, and he brought this firearm. <laughs> to my house uh this summer however it isn't the 3040 craig but it's a 303 lever action and i have an old picture on the wall right over here behind me of a couple of my uncles and my grandfather and my grandmother she was about uh i would probably say like 28 ish or 26 somewhere you know in there all of them got big mule deer bucks they were on a on a hunting trip and my grandmother was using my grandfather's rifle and that gun in the picture is now the one that's in my possession cool so that's the one that my grandfather ended up selling to my father-in-law yeah who i've known since a teenager before i've been married um, you know, for like 30, 33 years, 34 years now. And, uh, so it's literally been sitting over at my in-laws house this whole, whole time. I didn't know it. So it wasn't the 3040 Craig, but it was still a vintage firearm that I have a black and white picture of my grandmother who has it and got a big mule deer buck and I now have it in my possession. So it's kind of cool. That is awesome. That is awesome. Um, do we know where the 3040 Craig is? No, it's, it's definitely not in my father-in-law's collection. So oh, man. I think it's, uh, it's, it's long gone, Yeah, but yeah. I, I still have a family firearm that's, you know, got a picture from the 19, probably the 1950s. Sweet. So sweet. It's kind of cool. So yeah, exciting. Good news. That's exciting. a positive story. Good news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good news. So yeah, it'll be cool. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna. Hopefully, if everything goes according to plan, on Saturday I'm going to podcast with the guy, with me holding nice. the gun. So nice. Yeah, I think it'll be pretty. Cool. Very. All cool. right, Mark. I got to get packed and get everything squared away. I'm leaving in 24 hours, essentially. So um, thank cool, you, my man. man. And uh, yeah, folks, don't forget about reaching out and um just saying 
hey, here's here's some thoughts. Yeah, How do we DM inspire us. all of us to greatness? Yeah, DM us, DM Blood Origins Canada Foundation. Um, email us at info at bloodorigins.com. If you want something Canadian specific, send that and I'll forward it to Mark. Um, yeah, appreciate you. We're here for you. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.